Amen. Now, I don't know if you're still standing from earlier or, you know, if you fell to your knees with the words of the song or if you've already sat back down. But whatever you're, you're up to, uh, go ahead and take your seats if you're not already. Um, and as silly as it may have seemed to, to start off the way that we did, I hope you did participate with standing feet, lifting hands and bowing heads that we opened our time with because the body matters, all right? The body matters. It matters in how we worship. It matters in how we live our lives. And in these days of social distancing, or perhaps more accurately, physical distancing, it can be far too easy to begin forgetting about our bodies. The other day, I was journaling about all of the current events, all of the things that are going on, and as I wrote stuff down, the craziness of it all really began to sink in for me. You know, I mean, I know all of the many things that have shifted for us over the past month or two, but for some reason, writing down the words, schools are closed, restaurants are closed, group gatherings are banned, stay-at-home orders, right? As I wrote these words down, it just began to feel all the more real and, and, and just crazy, right? Uh, and, and it sunk in just how truly apocalyptic this whole situation really sounds, right? It's like living in some kind of crazy movie. Uh, but shortly after that journal entry, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we began reflecting on how, how truly apocalyptic things not only sound, but, but actually how truly apocalyptic they are. Uh, and, and by that, I don't mean apocalyptic as in the end of the world is here, but rather the literal meaning of apocalypse, the Greek word apokalupto, which means to uncover or to reveal. This is actually the word that we uh, get our, the name of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, right? The, the apocalypse, uh, Revelation. You see, apocalyptic doesn't mean ultimate destruction, but rather an uncovering, an unveiling, a revealing, right? It means taking something that was not apparent before and making it known. And I think that is exactly what our current circumstances have done. You see, in this time of social distancing, it's been disruptive, yes, but, but I don't think it has been nearly disruptive enough. Seattle Times published an article a couple of days ago with this headline. It said, technology has had us social distancing for years. And the article went on to describe how various parts of our social lives have increasingly gone digital over the past couple of decades. And I think that this season of being forced to go 100% digital for almost all of our social uh, interactions has revealed just how digitized our society had already become. It has revealed just how much we have already traded our physical interactions for their technological counterparts, and how as a society there are many ways in which we're actually quite okay with that. Uh, we're, we're actually quite comfortable with that. The friend I was talking with about all of this 
later on wrote uh, some stuff down, and, and he described it this way. He said, now that we're all in a lockdown, we find that though everything is now different, nothing really is, right? We've been told we cannot gather in large groups, but that's fine. We all have social anxiety now anyways and looked for ways to avoid others already. We're told that school and work will henceforth be conducted via the ubiquitous screens, but that's great. We're really, really good at using screens as imitations for real experiences. We're told that we should not get near each other in the grocery store and that should be, we should be careful about touching anyone or anything. And of course, we're already cynical and suspicious of others. This is not a stretch. We're told not to go out to eat, but to have food delivered to us directly. Perfect. We have all fallen in love with DoorDash already. We've been told to disinfect and sanitize ad nauseum. That's excellent. We've carried around hand sanitizer for years and have long made war against the unseen microbes. All right, this is what he wrote. And the point he is making is that our current circumstances are an apocalypse in its very literal sense. It is revealing the tendencies that we have already had toward social isolation, toward living through our screens, toward keeping our distance from others, toward relying on comfort and ease of consumerism that will deliver everything to us at the mere click of a button. You see, our society has increasingly distanced us from our physical selves from our bodies. And I think that Christianity actually has quite a lot to say about this. So this is what I want to spend some time reflecting on over, over the next few weeks, really. And, and there's absolutely an irony in this, uh, in, in spending our time reflecting on this, because, you know, though we will not be physically gathering together, I, I want to spend some time focusing on how important our physical being is. And though we will continue to stay connected through our screens, I, I want to emphasize that these screens are not enough. And so today, I, I want to start by, by taking a big look at the whole biblical story and start thinking uh, through a, a biblical theology of the body. And, and uh, in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll keep teasing this out. But today, uh, we'll get that big picture, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. So grab your Bible and open up to Romans chapter 12. And I really want to encourage you to get your actual physical Bible. All right, as, as, uh, if you need to pause the video and, and go grab it, that's fine. Do that. Uh, while we reflect on the importance of our physical being, I think it will be helpful to, to physically interact with the paper and ink of our physical Bibles. So Romans chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word of your scripture. But all the more we thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us as a physical body. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I said I wanted to look at the whole biblical story, but I want these verses in Romans 12 to kind of be our anchor point as we think through this, because they help us to think about what we've already spent some time reflecting on together today, right? Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And we've already highlighted that the world is increasingly pulling us out of our bodies and into our technology. Society has increasingly made it easier for us to live in isolation, keeping us from making plans and causing us to let out that big sigh of relief whenever whatever plans we did have get canceled, right? Because it's so much easier to stay in and watch a movie than it is to go out and actually interact with people. Right? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But this verse calls us to not be conformed to the ways of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means we've got to think about our bodies differently. Now, some of you might stop and, and say, oh, wait a second. The world isn't pulling us out of our bodies. It is emphasizing our bodies too much, right? With, with everything being sexualized and materialized, our call is not to be more in our bodies, but rather towards spiritual worship and the renewal of our minds. Isn't that what the passage said? And that has been a popular way of understanding this passage and a way of understanding Christian spirituality in general, but I want to critique two assumptions that are in that. All right, so first, there's the assumption that the materialization and super-sexualization, which is rampant in our culture, puts too much of an emphasis on the body. All right, but, but I want to suggest that it actually doesn't take the body seriously enough. Materialization transforms food and products into mere economic transactions, right? The table is changed from a place of community to a place of consumption. Our stuff is changed from a reason to give thanks into a desire to get more. And sexualization does the very same thing to our bodies. It transforms physical intimacy into a common transaction with whoever we want, or even impersonally through media. 
We can even hear this in the increasing vocabulary shift as people refer to one another as partners, almost like they're in some kind of a business deal. All of this is not an overemphasis of the body, but rather a failure to take the body seriously enough. So that's the first thing that, that I want to critique. The second thing that I want to critique is the assumption that as Christians, we are supposed to forsake our bodies and instead seek the renewal of our minds. That we're not supposed to pay attention to physical things, but instead focus on our spiritual worship. You know, again, isn't that what we read in the text? And yes, we, we did read some of those words and phrases, but I, I want to challenge you to look a little bit closer at the text, right? What exactly is our spiritual worship? What is it that Paul is appealing to in this passage? Take a look again. Verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, too. To what? What is he appealing for? He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. You see, our spiritual worship is not separate from our bodies. Rather, our bodies are the means of our spiritual worship. Salvation is not some spiritual by and by in the sky. Rather, it is something that is happening here and now on earth, in and through our bodies. And this has always been the case. So let's take a look at this, the, the big picture, how our bodies play a role through the biblical storyline of creation, fall, and redemption. All right, creation, fall, and redemption. So grab your Bible again, and let's flip back to the beginning. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. All right, Genesis chapter 2. Now you may wonder, well, why am I not all the way back to Genesis 1? Well, Genesis 1 tells the big picture story of creation. God speaks and it happens. But Genesis 2 tells a story of creation that is much more up close and personal. And as we reflect on our bodies, I want to take a close look at how the creation of humanity is described here. So take a look at Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read beginning in verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. 
Now, there is a lot to reflect on and wonder about in these verses, but I want to point out three things. All right, first, look at how God is described in this passage. Right? In Genesis 1, all we have is this disembodied voice of God sounding from the heavens. But here, in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. The image is one of a sculptor taking a lump of clay and forming it into a human body. Right? In Genesis 1, God is just a voice. But here... It is as if God has hands as he molds humanity from the dirt. And the human body, just like any sculpture, has the fingerprints of its creator on it. So here we can see that our bodies are not just an accessory, but rather a divine work of art. But there's more. Right? The second thing I want to point out is, is I want to look at how the human being is described here. Verse 7 starts with God forming man from the ground and goes on to say that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now some older translations will say the man became a living soul. And that is the literal Hebrew word here. So God took the body that he had formed, breathed life into it, and it became a living soul. According to this description, the soul is not separate from the body. Rather, the body is part of the soul. If we were to turn this into an equation, it would be body plus breath equals soul. All right, so bodies are not just external shells that we will one day shed when we get to heaven, all right? Rather, our bodies are a part of who we are, part of our soul, part of our living being. And finally, the third thing I want to point out about this passage is, is what happens next, all right? In verse 8, God plants a garden. And he puts the human there. Once again, God has hands, right? I know that some of you are gardeners. Some of you have been using this time recently to go out and garden. Just think of our own little garden at the church building. And just imagine God digging holes, sowing seeds, planting a garden. And then he puts the human there. And if you glance down at verse 15, it says he put him there to till it and keep it, right? So the human is given a job to do. This story of creation, right? This is a picture of perfection. And we don't see a disembodied God or a spiritual person floating around somewhere, right? Rather, we see a garden and the work of gardening. What we see here is a human with a body as a living sacrifice. And this is spiritual worship, just like our passage in Romans described. This is the picture of perfection. But things don't stay that way, do they? We journey from creation to 
the story of the fall. And for this, we, we flip over to Genesis 3. It might be on the very same page you were just reading. And I, I'm not going to read the whole story, uh, but as we continue tracing a theology of the body, I want to ask, what happens immediately after humanity sins? What is the first result of the fall? Look at 3 verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both man and woman were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And if you look down in verse 10, the man says, Well, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Right, so the very first response to sin is shame. It is the need to hide. But it's not just any shame. It is physical shame. Humanity's response to sin is to hide their bodies. And this begins the first step toward pulling away from the body, toward becoming a little bit more disembodied, toward rejecting that divine work of art that God had sculpted. This is the first step toward no longer presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, but instead hiding our bodies in physical shame. And then in the rest of chapter 3, God describes to them the results of sin, and among them are physical pain, sweat of the face, and ultimately, death. So in creation, God made humanity with physical bodies and physical work to do. But now, in the fall, sin has made that physical work painful and has infected those physical bodies with shame and with death. So we've seen the role of the body in creation and in the fall. What role does the body play in redemption? Right? What story do we see play out throughout the rest of Scripture? Is it a story of redemption from the body? You know, one day we'll finally be free from our bodies and worship God in some disembodied spiritual realm. I don't think that's the story that we see. The story of redemption throughout the rest of Scripture is long and it is meandering. And we don't have time to look at all of it. But at every turn, we see that the body and physical reality plays an important role, right? First, God calls Abraham and promises him physical descendants and then gives him the covenant sign of circumcision, a very physical sign, right? Then we see God leading Israel out of Egypt and they build that beautiful physical sanctuary in the tabernacle. And then we see God leading them into a promised land as if he is once more planting them in a garden with work to do. And all of these are stages in the story of redemption. But all of these ultimately lead to Jesus. 
And that's where I want to look. So flip over one more time with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. All right. And now we could look at Jesus' story in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but John makes this point so plainly and so clearly connects the story from creation to Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And I'll skip down to verse 14. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is John's summary of the story of redemption. The word became flesh. God took on a body. All right. And in the rest of the gospel, John tells how in that body, Jesus lived among us. In chapter 13, with his body, Jesus gets down on the floor and washes his disciples' feet. In chapter 19, Jesus' body is hung on a cross. His side is pierced and his blood flows. And then in chapter 20, right? Jesus' body is raised in resurrection. And John makes it clear that the resurrection is not just a spiritual thing, but a physical reality. If, if you turn there, let's, let's take a look a little bit closer at John chapter 20, all right? Jesus is raised from the dead. And then in verse, uh, let's see, he appears to Mary. And in verse 18, she runs off to announce to the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then Jesus appears to them. And in verse 20, he shows them his hands and his side. Right? And if seeing Jesus' body isn't enough, John then follows that up with the story of Thomas, where in verse 27, Jesus says to him, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it in my side. And he invites him to feel the physical body of the resurrected Jesus. And still, if that's not enough, keep going. In chapter 21, Jesus appears to the disciples once more. And in verse 9, we see him cooking up fish and bread to eat breakfast with his disciples. In these stories, Jesus' resurrected body is seen, it is felt, and he even eats bread and fish with his disciples. Over and over again, John makes it incredibly clear that resurrection is not just a spiritual thing, but a physical reality. 
This is the climax of the story of redemption. This is what we celebrated last weekend. You have the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And none of these would be possible if it were not for the physical reality of Jesus' body. And as we explored last week, the story of Jesus' resurrection is really a spoiler for the end of the whole story. In the end, we do not bid our physical bodies goodbye to float around in a spiritual heaven, but rather, Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 that our bodies too will be resurrected, restored, and redeemed. In the end, it is not redemption from our bodies, but rather the redemption of our bodies. And we will finally live into the goal of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. This is what the story of creation, fall, and ultimately redemption points to. So what does that look like for us today? Well, just as we've already read, it means not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. It means thinking about our bodies differently. It means that we need to not diminish the body through materialism and supersexualization, nor should we dismiss the body through technology and increasing digitalization. Rather, we need to hold fast to the essential physical component of incarnational living. And for a season, that does mean keeping some physical distance from each other so that we don't catch and spread this virus and overwhelm our medical system. But that doesn't mean that we sink deeper and deeper into our couches, becoming more and more engrossed in our glowing screens and forget about our bodies altogether. So I encourage you this week, even amidst this strange season that we're in, to find ways to engage your body as a living sacrifice of worship. Go outside. Go for a walk and enjoy the beauty of springtime. This is your spiritual worship. You know, if you're a gardener, then get back to that original work of humanity to till the earth and keep it. This is your spiritual worship. Use some of the extra time that you might have to pick up your physical Bible and read it. Or maybe download that Dwell app that I keep telling you about and use your ears to listen to it. This is your spiritual worship. And even though we are physically distant from one another, you might consider getting out some old-fashioned pen and paper and take some time to write a physical note to mail to a friend or a family member or someone from the church. This is your spiritual worship. 
And many of you have already used your hands and your physical skills to sew hundreds of masks for the hospital and for each other. This is your spiritual worship. You see, even though we are physically distant, we can still find creative ways to physically love and care for one another and our neighbors. This is our spiritual worship. You know, I think that in these increasingly technological times, the most countercultural thing the church can be is an incarnational community that insists on the importance of physical reality. And, and thank goodness for these digital tools that we're using, right? We're, we're using them now, and we will continue using them in the future. But may we not forget our physical reality as we continue to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Amen.